Well, all right, all right, all right. Welcome to the Eighth Node Sessions. I'm Devin Mullen. And I'm Mike Shamil. And today we are joined by uh, four-fifths of the band The Safety Meeting. Hi, guys. So far. Four-fifths so far. We, we may uh, have a surprise guest towards the end. How about we uh, go down the line, just introduce ourselves and, and what we do. I'm Anthony Karamis. I'm the uh, lead guitarist in the band. Julian Bergio. I sing and pretend to play the guitar in the band. I'm uh, TJ Cutajar. I play guitar. Uh, Mark Thomas, and I play drums. Uh, beautiful. So when I first heard the name safety meeting, I thought of something like an intervention, but that's not, that's not at all what that means. Well, what it's is not, a safety meeting? It's not the impetus. It's not the um, impetus. So a safety meeting is a common vernacular. I'm going to let TJ handle this one. <laughs> a, a gathering of friends to partake in uh, herbal, herbal... The herbal medicine. sacrament. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's legal in New York now. You can. It's legal in New yeah, York. Yeah, we can oh, talk. No, 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 Smo smoking marijuana. There you, there oh, oh, I was thinking burning sage. Okay. Uh, great. I was thinking more of like line cooks all huddling outside of the walk-in. See, what that you is don't know is me. that's what yeah, they're that's doing. A good one. That's, yeah. that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Make sure you wear your little plastic booties and everything. Okay. What, what Kevin's doing in a few minutes. Um, so you you guys make rock, uh, with a little bit of grunge influence, uh. 10% 10, 10 emo, maybe? Maybe 10% emo. Maybe 10%. Probably 10%. at least 10%. Yeah, maybe. Um, why, why does rock and roll still matter? Why isn't rock dead? Rock and roll... So so here's, here's an interesting way to put it, I guess. Um, generally, I've found that if I explain to somebody that I play in a rock band, they're probably 30% less interested than if I say I'm in an alternative rock band. Mm. Um, or to just say I'm in an alternative band. It's like something about the, the term alternative um, seems to kind of wake people up. So, so rock and roll, that's not what we do. We're in an alternative rock band. Ah, ah. The, the ah. magic sauce. I've right, that's, that's the magic sauce. That's become trendy in the last like 10 years. Like, Nobody's all the a rock band. bands Everyone's are all alternative. alternative. They're all alternative. Oh, sorry, all the mainstream radio stations are now calling themselves alternative. And I'm like, so if you guys are the alternative, then what are the, like, the alternative to? They, they can't right. let us have right. anything nice. Yeah, and then classic rock changes every 10 years, so it's not who really knows anymore. I don't know. They actually... So I used to work in radio, and classic rock used to be that as music got older, it got added to that genre. But they suddenly decided, you know what? We're scared of grunge because it's what knocked all of our favorite old guy bands off of the charts. <laughs> so they put it like a dead stop. Like Bands like Nirvana and the Red Hot Chili Peppers are absolutely classic rock at this point. I'm sorry. Yeah. They, just, they just are. And, and that's not a dig at them. But you won't hear them on most classic rock stations. They just, they, they stopped at 89 and pretended the world did too. And I think I noticed that too. I feel like for a year they tried it. And then all of a sudden it's just like, no, we're not. Like you'd hear, I heard the Foo Fighters. I'm like, no way. This isn't classic rock. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that to me. Uh, it, but you know what? You know, they started in the early to mid 90s. Right. You know? So you guys have uh, an album out at this point, uh, The Safety Meeting, self-named, a single released recently, and uh, some more stuff coming down the pipe. Uh, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So the album, it was, more of a, it was an EP, and uh, I think at this point it's kind of like our demo of songs. And there's a bunch of them on there that we're going to go back and, and re- redo in a sense of like when those songs were written they were pretty much me and sometimes mo yeah. a lot of the times anthony and they, they've evolved so much in my then. basement yeah. with too much stimulus money 
at a safety meeting, of course. At a safety meeting. Yeah. Um, and so now we've evolved a lot as a band, so we're going to go back. And like we're, tomorrow we'll be finishing up Dancing in Heaven, which is on that EP, along with another new one that we wrote. Um, so yeah, we're just kind of... So, so Dancing in Heaven, that, um, that doesn't sound like a happy title. I got it. Admit. It is though. Is the ten percent is coming in now? The ten percent. <laughs> Here's the ten percent. Ten percent. What's uh? What, what's the song about? So there's um there's this picture from my cousin's wedding, um, of my grandfather who for as, as long as I can remember, um, only had one leg, and walked with a cane. Okay. And so there's this picture from my cousin's wedding of him, um. With two hands up in the air and no cane. Wow. And so the tune really came from that picture. Um, you know, he's, he's passed since then. And, you know, the one line is, my favorite day was the one, you know, and I think of the cane that he once held. I think of the day that it fell. Um, and so... I'm talking about that that day. Like it sounds like it was a bad thing. Like if somebody's cane falls, it's generally but you kind of twist it on its on its head. Right, it's like a more beautiful moment. Right, it yeah, was it was you know yeah. it was a beautiful moment where you know he, you know had you know both of his hands in the air because he was just so happy at, at my cousin's wedding. So um, that's where that song came from, and that's that's definitely part of that ten percent. I love that, and that that seems to be a major feature of the safety meetings music is that there's. There's a bit of a push and pull between like what you would expect at first and what you ultimately end up getting. Mm. Like Impervious and Screwed, which is the the big the big hit. Like mo most people know that tune just because of the promotional and it's you know yeah. ca it's catchy as hell. Um, there's an inherent contradiction in that, right? How, how can you be impervious and screwed at the same time? Right. One, one would preclude the other. That song was kind of written like tongue in cheek, in, in a sense of just like. Like, you're impervious and screwed. Like, maybe maybe you're perceived... Like, one is true and one is perceived, I guess. You know, you either perceive that you're impervious, but you're screwed, or you are screwed, or you are impervious, but you perceive that you're screwed. And so, to be both was kind of, uh, I guess, the, the thought in that, that I mean, tune, I guess. I mean, it was written, like... Well, when when was it written? Because I I thought it was in the pandemic. Yeah, was that yeah, was yeah that, that song one? that predated Safety Meeting? Because I no no it didn't. Okay. No, that one was written like height of the pandemic, height right, of the lockdown. So. Right, right, right. So it, it definitely came, you know, at a time where that made probably the most sense to me. I guess. So th this is a group with three guitarists. Yeah. Also, w worth noting. Worth noting. Um, how. How's uh, space negotiated um, in, in that? I mean, we all kind of just have our... I guess we have our roles. I just usually do a lot of the lead things, but, you know, obviously there are times where we're all playing separate parts of the same rhythm, so we just kind of throw it around, and I'd say I do a lot of the lead. He does a lot of the uh, strummy kind of stuff, and uh, TJ does a lot of the... Uh, we call him the ambiance. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you're like busting out their harmonics and some of the neat licks that yep. kind of round things out while he's <laughs> yeah, just you'll banging add some, away some delay rhythm. to the to the mix or my phaser or whatever. You know? it, in my mind, it's it's like I'm playing the power chords because I'm singing at the same time and I'm not that great of a guitar player. <laughs> Anthony is playing some sort of lead line, 
And then, exactly, TJ is either playing some sort of um, harmony, you know, harmonic chord, or doing some cool thing with some effect to add texture to it. It's really, it's really a cool sound that's developed rather recently. Yeah, and it, it, honestly, it took a while, at least for me, speaking personally, it took a while for me to kind of settle into the lead role because a lot of the other projects, I do a lot of rhythm, and it, I just kind of took a little bit of people telling me that, you know, that no volume is too loud. Uh, so uh, once once I kind of got that point and uh, kind of shaped the tone that I wanted, uh, I do a lot of you know big boomy neck pickup kind of sounds, and I really like those kind of. It's it's kind of been like an awakening for me for that in that regard. So it's been a lot of fun. And and that sort of is how the whole band sound has been crafted right now from a uh, from a kind of epic maximalist big big big. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. What what I like about listening to the music is that so much of the vocabulary is fairly familiar because it, it is rock, it is grunge, it's ten percent emo. It's three guitarists. Like we we've been here before, we know this. Yeah. And yeah, the the voices are different enough, the lyrics are clever enough, and I, I, I think you said it. There's always or T I think you said it, there's always room for error in in it. You know, there there's good space, it's not like trampling on top of each other. Everything has its own place. Um what place does the music come from? Where does it come from? Yeah, the heart, right? Where, where the heart. It's, it. it's pretty layered, I think. It's, it's kind of cool because a lot of it is original music that he wrote that was just very straightforward original songs. And then as more and more people kind of joined the band and more people put their... Basically, it got put through each machine of everyone's mind. Yeah, like, everyone it puts their own built. little twist on it. So yeah, so if you if you could hear his solo stuff, then the transformation of it to the next, you know, the next stage when we had our first, you know, iterations, and then how it comes, even now how we play it live now, you see it's just been kind of like getting churned through filter after filter until it kind of becomes what it is. Yeah. So now that you've figured out some sort of system and how to kind of coexist. And you know you're going from the stage of starting off with kind of more um, one person doing some of the writing and everyone else kind of filling into kind of being a more collaborative uh, collaborative effort. What's next? What's the direction you guys are kind of leading this project to creatively? I think creatively, we've developed into a much bigger sound. I feel like especially the two tunes that we, we started last week at Watchman Studios and finishing tomorrow. Like, those two tunes especially, I feel like, really exemplify just how big our sound can be and also, you know, at other points, how dynamic it can be. Like, it's not just big straight from beginning, you know, get-go to the end, but when it does get big, it gets... It's real big. It's really big, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of room now for, like, off tracks. I like to call them things that sound a little different from the norm. It just kind of mixed up, like, uh, kind of like things that sound like that. Like one of the songs, I think it's it's Groove Number Four. It has a very different sound from the rest of it because that's kind of like it's based off a riff that I made, and it just kind of shows you like the, the differences you go as we now kind of get past the refurbishing of all these these songs that we've been doing, and hopefully in the future things can jump around a little bit more, but kind of stay central. And at the same time, if that makes sense, it, it does. It does yeah. Um. So, Julian and T, you you guys are uh, well. You, you got a, a kid on the way. You're you're recently a father. Um. How, how do you stop the the inevitability of becoming dad rock? 
Because because literally, you're <laughs> ouch. We the minute TJ joined the band, we were, you know, it was dad rock because there's dad, dad in the band now. Um, have you have you ever seen that? Video? I don't know. I guess I guess that's that's. That's a funny question because I'm I'm literally like, what is dad rock? And I'm thinking of like all the shit my dad listened to, but like that's me now. Now that I you know you put it that way, um, like all of Dylan's later albums, is like George Harrison's later stuff. Right, right, right. Like my, my dad was big into Prince and, and Pink Floyd, and I I love that music, but now I'm like, so is like Paramore dad rock now? No, because Dad Rock is specifically like... Mark's like, don't like fuck with Paramore. I think, I think Paramore is Dad Rock. See, my, my, <laughs> my, my parents listened to like Alice in Chains and Nirvana yeah. and stuff like that. So I guess I've always been playing... Cause that's Classic the rock. style. Yeah, yeah, whatever is, you want to call it. Dad isn't, Rock. I isn't guess. anything with a distorted guitar Dad Rock now? Uh, pretty much, yeah. See, I, think I, I disagree. We're already I think there. it's a specific subgenre of rock because there's there is this thing where a lot of guys like get to this point in their career where they've already been this like big young stud and star, and then they they settle down in their career. They're they're playing more consistent tours, and then they start right about being a dad. And that's why I was joking around about like Dylan and Harrison, like guys like that did like in later in their career start writing dad songs about like. Being a parent now, so it, it's like it, it is an act. It's not just like old rock that's like hmm. sort of connected to a generation because that is going to happen. Like you know, Paramore is definitely like. I mean, we're millennials. Most of us, I think. I think we're all millennials. I feel like modern yeah. Weezer almost falls into that kind of thing. When Weezering like, is now like a prank to people. Yeah, like I like <laughs> the Blue Album of Weezer is just like the most like punchy in your face kind of just straightforward kind of like. I don't know. It's it's like hacky sack rock. You know what I mean? And, and then yeah, and then it just like you get to like Buddy Holly, and I just I feel like I don't know the band anymore. But that 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 one bassist I think had a lot to do with that. But that's that's besides the point. So it's it's not so much what dads are listening to, but what dads are writing about. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a mindset of dads writing rock songs about literally being dads in rock. So the Foo Fighters and Pearl Jam and. Like those are the two bands Pretty that much, I immediately like, I pop into my mind when, with that like, with that definition. Younger coming up, we used to joke about dad rock. It's pretty much rock rock music that sounds like it had like the life sucked out of it. We, oh. we, we used to joke about like like there's really no hook there, and it's good music, it's fun rock, but it's just kind of like ah, uh, I could take a pass yeah, on it. Special. But now like it's that that's when I was a kid thinking of that. But now it's just like yeah, it's just like music that you realize that when you were younger it was like the popular thing but now it's kind of classic i guess I, I understand from your perspective like the genre part of it is that's where my mind went but i think it's more just you know music you grew up listening to and you pass on to your kids so i mean yeah. do you think do you think there's anything that at release is dad rock or that's something where time passes that judgment on it it's it's like a clock winding down. I like yeah. I like I like Schmiel's definition. So yeah. like anything yeah. that like is written like like I think of like there's a lot of Pearl Jam songs, you know, because I'm a big Pearl Jam fan, obviously, and so like I definitely think there's enough material from one band that is about fatherhood or parenthood. Then uh, I guess that that's that's a decent definition for it. One of my favorite uh, groups, Woco, they have basically a dad rock album. I mean, it was in a Volkswagen commercial, one of the songs there. So there, there you go. That is, that that is peak dad that rock. Is peak the dad is rock. rock. Sky, sky blue sky. Look at how good the but mileage is on this Volkswagen. It's a diesel. Cue music. Low emissions. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Sort of. Um, oh, no. Low. We're, we're bringing the man in. 
Oh, hi guys. How's everybody doing? All right, joining us, the rest of the band, is Kevin, the bass player of the Safety Meeting, and he's the one who also got us hooked up with this location. Uh, we are actually doing this episode from Jackrabbit, so it's our first episode this year outside of Zoom, and hopefully we don't have to use Zoom anytime soon. It's nice. nice that it's there, but it's nice to see all of you in person. So yeah. thank take, you for, take for that, getting that Zoom. hooked up, and thank you, Jackrabbit, for letting us be here. Thank you again. Absolutely. Thanks also, for being here. Kevin also cooked my dinner, I, I believe. Oh, did you yeah. have the meatballs, right? I had the meatballs. They're good meatballs. They're right? really good meatballs. Did, did you made them with extra love for you. Did you I cook my did. sandwich, too? Um, one of us did. I was it, probably it, it was really good. <laughs> Thank you. you. The Carolina barbecue. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, oh it was delicious. I remembered it. Man. Oh, it's delicious. Oh, yeah. I can tell you the last, like, hundred orders that just came in while you guys were sitting down here. <laughs> I was so, on Easy Street right before you guys sat down, and I was... Dinner rush. Dinner so, rush. so Kevin, when you came in, we were talking about dad rock. I feel like the topic's about to turn into grandpa rock. So let's let's move on. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's say uh, three three adjectives that that best describe the group. What do we got? I think at this stage, it's getting like the sound is big, um, but dynamic. And I'm going to give the third one to Kevin because I feel like he's got something. Is, is stoned an adjective? Because <laughs> it could can be. be. Big, <laughs> dynamic, and stoned. Stoned. At least I half the that. band all the time. Love it. Love it. Um, so what, what I also like is that, uh, again, just looping back to this idea of, of contradiction and, and humanity and, and, you know, reflecting in, in the art, um, there is hints of very serious stuff rooted in in the music um join you in our pre-interview conversation you talked about the experience of writing the song anxiety yeah um and we're really in in the seat of anxiety while while you were writing it um yeah. a lot of times with with rock music with with male dominated music there's kind of a, a playfulness we have regarding the seriousness of what we feel and it's it's supposed to be kind of a joke and it's supposed to be fun and not linger too long on that that said there, there's always got to be that kernel of truth in it uh, do, do you guys feel that you find some kind of therapy or, or helpful expression of emotion in in the music is that part of why you do it i i think so and everybody from me down has written a lot of songs, and Anthony is, is starting to delve into writing songs. Go for you. Um, oh, and yeah. so it's it's cool that we've we've got a lot of songwriters, and so everybody kind of gets that. And I think that that's that's what's really cool about for me having these guys is everybody knows that this was not just like some ink that landed on paper in a certain way. It was you know something that lyrically I had crafted or you know I had a sound for and I had spent a lot of time thinking about and so um that's that's super cool as a songwriter to have to have players that understand that and get that and respect that so well I think too when you're writing songs you you do come from a personal spot and if you can really tap into something that's kind of universal everybody can kind of relate to it yes and those are the songs that I feel like go over the best, at least in my experience. If somebody can come and be like, oh, you know that song you wrote? Like, I know what you wrote that about. When your personal experience hits another personal experience. Yep. And my favorite songwriters all do that. You know, yeah. like, 
big Bruce Springsteen guy, big you know like Bob Dylan guy. Well, Bob Dylan that doesn't that doesn't equate because you don't <laughs> even know what he's talking about half the time. But Springsteen, Jackson Brown, like you know, just solid songwriters who write just like something where like they can write one line. And you're just like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. But I didn't know how to say it the right way, and I didn't know how to say it to music or something. So I think if you can do that, you can really get a lot of people to relate to your music, and that's when they fall in love with your music. I, I think so, and I think you know, as as far as discussions on like mental health are concerned, the the biggest instigator of mental health problems is isolation. So writing music that is coming from that place and speaking to that place, it it's sort of dual purpose and what it does. It makes the creator of it less isolated. And it also makes the listener feel less isolated. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love that that's a, a very obvious part of the music, but not one that's on the nose. And I, and I think you know? a lot of it breaks down to just simple storytelling in general. You know, like you have your impervious and screwed, which to me in sound is a comedy, but in lyrical context is a tragedy. And then you have songs like Bird in the Window Pane. <laughs> wow. Which is kind of like an all-on tragedy. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of tragedy. Like I write tragedy all day. Yeah, I, that's the easiest that 10%. thing for me to do. Yeah, it's 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 so like I think like when I heard Impervious and Screwed, I was like, I want to play that song on drums because it's badass. And then I heard Bird in the Window playing, and I'm like, this guy knows what he's doing. This guy can write a song for sure. So beautiful. It's good that you guys have that kind of dynamic. I see a lot of like. Um, you guys play off a lot of each other, and you guys all seem to be very supportive of each other. And that's that's a really important thing to have in a band, you know. No one wants that band that is like dysfunctional and throwing shit at each other, you know. I mean, I like those bands. Yeah, <laughs> don't, I don't observe them. I don't observe them. One. Exactly, you know, because being in that band is stressful. You know, it's a lot more fun when you feel like you can depend on the other guys. It, but yeah. it's a lot of fun to go to a show and not know if they're going to punch each other in the face. Right? Yeah, you feel like, that tension. Yeah, like, well, you get like one album of gold from those kind of Seen, those kind yeah. of bands. It's the only reason people go to see Oasis. It's just for the inevitable. Right. Oh, like, at some point, one of them the is walking off, right the, off the like stage. Like the Who can't even be on the same. Like they can be on stage, but they they won't talk to each other. Yeah, that's the only place yeah. they can be yeah, together. Exactly. Even to this day, those guys like bitch about each other in interviews, and I'm like, that's great. You guys are like in your 80s, going on your <laughs> 90s. Half your band is dead, and you're still going, ah, oh, that jerk. Oh, I wish I never met him. Yeah. You wouldn't be anywhere without him. <laughs> Screw the, the next millions minute, of you're writing your love song me. about him. Uh, but no, we, we all do get along, and we all support each other, especially the fact that a lot of we're all in other bands. Yeah. You know, at least one other band. Yeah. And, um, you know, just shuffling stuff, life, you know, you know, kids, family, all that stuff. The older you get... The people that aren't serious about music, they just wean themselves out, you know. Um, you, I've met a ton of talented people that just kind of drop off because it gets too hard. Oh, yeah. Everybody here puts in the time. They put in the effort. You know, um, they do whatever they can on top of everything else that they're doing. And it's just because we love rock and roll and we love each other at this point. Like, we've been together long enough that we, we do actually care about each individual person. So Yeah. So, something something I want to ask that's sort of philosophical, and if there's not a, a great philosophy zone, the philosophy we're, we're going into zone. the philosophy zone. Okay. Wow, Devin's here. It's been so long. <laughs> oh wow! Wow. All right. Um. So I I agree with with that assessment of the music scene. It entails so much work, and you need you need the personality, you need the talent, you need the optics. You need the audience reception. You need the initial capital investment. 
And, and that's a game and we all accept it and we do it. My question would be though, is it right and is it fair that it's like that? Is it right? Is it just? Just? Yeah. Is it ideal? It no. It is right and just. Yeah. But, but it's probably right <laughs> and just. Yeah. I think um, with anything in life that we just want, play you gotta put the work in. Right, right. So right. Like, Why do I have to sit here with Devin and Schmiel <laughs> instead of just playing my guitar in my basement? Right, right. You're, you're right. putting in your Why time right now. Why do you gotta do this? Because this We're is here. This isn't We're what literally we got. Like, we could play music all the time in the basement, but how often yeah. do you get interviewed about your music and stuff like yeah. that? You know? That's... That is cool. Like this, it's it's super cool. Rarely do we get a chance to talk about it. Yeah. Um, what kind of way I feel about it is as an artist. Say we're all artists and stuff. It's not for us to put a value on our art. It's just to create it, right? So you can put it out there. You can promote it. You can do all this stuff. But it's up to everybody else to tell you if it's crap or not. You know. For sure. And we can't go around being like, "Well, we're great." Like I don't understand why nobody's like, right. "I'm pushing really hard." And Nobody I'm likes videos that guy. and stuff. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's about the songs. It's about the music, and that's what people connect with, especially the vibe, especially the younger kids these days. They're Although listening those to thirty kids. seconds, and if you don't catch them right away. It's true. Well, there's so much out there, so it's they're true. just gonna turn it to the next yeah. one. Then, yeah, it's a skip culture. Yep. So I'm, it's I'm, not. It's not just. It's not fair. But there's life. But neither is life. Yeah. And music and art is a reflection of that. Is yeah. just a reflection the, of life. If I, I don't can, think it's any different now than it has been. It's just there's more. There's more just of it. More of everything. Yeah. More That's competition, all. but th there's also more of a chance to be seen. Mm -hmm. You know. So like, th there's a there's a beautiful aspect of it, and there's a shitty aspect of it. You know. It's, that's life. I, I think ideally myself and probably a lot of artists would rather just write some tunes, maybe record them, and just survive and thrive off of that. But but I also think that for me, like I've I've more recently kind of dug my you know Dug my claws into social media. Social media. I've noticed you've been putting a lot of work on it. And of course, I wish I didn't have to do any of it. <laughs> but some of it's kind of fun. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've learned stuff. You learn stuff. I mean, I've met, not met, but I've I've made connections with with bands on, in two bands in British Columbia, a band in Southern California, um, all on TikTok. Right so you're telling me there's a TikTok tour coming our way? A TikTok tour? It's not a bad name. For I, I'm not. I like I'm not lying. Yeah. I'm not lying. If you were to open up my drafts right now, I'm halfway through doing a. Hey, you guys should check out Jackrabbit here in Buffalo, New York. This is a really cool bar, and we're doing an interview here today yeah. with the uh, Eighth Note Sessions of Music Is Art. There's one of those half done in my pocket at this moment. Nice, nice. So yeah, I guess there was a TikTok tour. Uh, if I can just comment about music scene too in Buffalo, I, I feel like me and Julian at least we have kind of a, we have foot in two different zones too because we play cover music as well. And there's a lot of passion for that here because it's Music City and bars love to pick up music. And if I can just say about what, where it is in Buffalo, I, I just if I could if I could release a sentiment is that just understand how difficult and how how much people are putting themselves out there with original stuff and how much work goes into that. And just don't don't forget to value or find the value in that kind of stuff because it, it, from seeing a lot of original music around here, it's it's wild what you can see. There's a lot of just talent playing it. Yeah, playing in dark rooms. In places you would never guess, so you know it, it's it's something 
to be enjoyed and something you can really get a lot out of if you just go and look for it. So no, I, I just want to put that out there. I, I agree. And I think, yeah. I, I think as, as you say, the state of the music scene, um, having to work hard, that's, that's what makes such good talent. But, you know, it's, it's kind of a fostering bargain to some degrees because you do have lots of talented people washing out. I'm on the fence about it. I don't know if it's fair or just, but mine's not to, to make that determination. I just ask the questions. That's why I'm here. Right, you know? right. There's a... It's, it's hard to even think about it because it's like, what are you going to do? Like, you can't change it, so just roll with it, Yeah, I yeah. guess. Yep. Yeah. You're impervious I mean, and screwed. Impervious and screwed. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's funny because when you look at, like, you know, stories of a lot of the bands we grew up listening to, you know, they'd start off kind of playing like these like smaller clubs and circuits and they'd get kind of to like a regional point where they're doing all right. And then like some A&R rep would pick them up, then a label would pick them up and suddenly they'd have either a horrible contract that destroys them or this support that takes them like really far because now suddenly they have a team of people that can do all like the, you know, press releases and all the boring shit that us as creatives, we're not good at that stuff. I mean, some of us are, but there's very few of us. Most of us are great at playing music, coming up with cool things and art and stuff. But when it comes to the business side of things, we're like, and right. you know, it's it, obviously we've all seen record labels completely move away from that. They're just owners at this point, you know, they're, they're like the companies that are also like buying up like Dylan's catalog and, you know, Stevie Nicks's music and, you know, all that stuff. They're, they're no longer really in the business of supporting bands. And so you kind of have to do it yourselves. I wonder though, at what point do you find people who believe in your music within your community that can help with that kind of stuff? Like in a genuine way, not a screw you over. It's hard. There's a lot of false thing. faces. Yeah. Uh, it, can you find that, that team who wants to support you? And so, you know, that that's where the people who really make it, people who believe no. in them. And <laughs> I don't think it exists anymore, to be honest with you. you just, I, I think it, it's down to, too, a lot of, like, musicians kind of have to stick together and understand that, like, what's too good to be true or signing with people like that or just just getting involved with people like that is kind of, like, a means to an end in itself. So if you let that grow, it just grows more. You kind of just have to snuff those flames out. But it's hard because promises sound great and everyone right. just wants to live their dream. So it's hard to say no when you have a, even a 2% chance, right? I mean, the right... The right label is great and the wrong label can be terrible, but there's no, there's no discerning which are which. It's well, it, it, the right, the right deal, dead, I should say. The right deal, the right one. deal and the wrong yeah. deal, not the right label. That's why you see a lot of yeah. independent artists and people starting their own record but labels and so, you know. That's, that, that, that's my point in, you know, in today's world, you can do a lot of it yourself. By the time you're going to get signed by a label these days, you're already doing something yeah. where you need to be. Um, you're just going to financially support Nobody's going to sign Maybe. guys that look like this playing right. ro 90s style rock and roll. You know what I mean? Rock music. Like, it just isn't going to happen until you have, but until it's a fully formed right. money-making band. We You've have already gone it. on tour. You already have hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine's been in the business for a long time. He's explained it to me. He's like, you're not going to get touched until you have hundreds of thousands of followers on whatever it is. When you can make a streams. label money. When, yeah, because then they're only going to help you at that point. There's no artist in development. There's none, none of artist development. You know, they used, you know, go back to Motown. They give you dancing lessons. They give you this. They oh, sure. write you 100 songs. They, they put were, Smokey they Robinson They were brilliant there. the way they organized things in Motown. And they'd let you fail. At this point, you're not going to do that. So 
it's just tough because I feel like a lot of music isn't being replaced by new music. So um, we have live music here at the restaurant and the bar all the time. And it's a bunch of young kids from like 21 to 26 every Friday, Saturday night. And we put we force them to watch live music up on that stage, right? <laughs> and a lot of it is original. But if they if you bust out a Rolling Stones song, I watched this entire bar go nuts for uh, Honky Tonk Woman. Yeah. All these kids still know these songs. They're either in the movies they watch, they're on the radio, their parents listen to them. You could, you could barely have them name a rock song from the last 10 years. I can barely name one. But all these young kids who shouldn't know these things still know the hits because they're still played on the radio, which is still a viable option, but they're just not replacing it with anything. So it's they, They've kind of found what they've already invested and said, you know what? We're gonna stick what we We've do. invested enough. Yeah. You know, I've... I saw that happen in the radio industry. I'm seeing that kind of happen, like with like, you know, the streaming services. They feel like, well, it doesn't need to go any further. We, we can just milk this forever. That's that's why they'll buy like big artist catalog, because Bob Dylan's not going to be around forever. Forever, yeah. You know, but his music will. He just and sold his whole entire it. catalog for like a billion dollars or something like that. Something I, crazy. It's a shame it, too. It was, it was a huge amount of money, and it mm. and it makes it tough for like up and coming artists like us because it's like okay. Well, you can't count on radio. You can't count no. on the streaming services. You can't count on the traditional ways of doing things. So I wonder what other grassroots options well, might help you get out there. Well, I honestly think the biggest, not to interrupt, but I think the Don't biggest thing is you're talking about music is art, the local music scene. We have to build that community. Yeah. And I see it happening here in this town. I've been in, playing music in this town since 2005. And when we first came out, like, I got a record contract when I was 19 years old. My friends were on Warp Tour and, like, all this other stuff. We all hated each other. We all hated each other. <laughs> like, nobody liked each other. Nobody talked to each other at shows. It was all, how many tickets did you sell? You like can't sell tickets anymore. You know? <laughs> so Sorry. now it's all about, I'm seeing so many people, like, anytime there's a band here, somebody's getting called up to come sing. Like, it's like, oh, this person's here. And everybody's super supportive. I just think everybody has to buckle down and we need to make more sound recordings. There has to be more music coming out of this town that can go other places. Good music is good music. People and there's are a lot here. It. There is. Yeah. So if you could put it out to the world, you know, you got that chance. We already have the camaraderie. We need the product. You know, because we can go. It's a gig culture in this town, as oh, I'm sure. sure you guys understand. We sure. can go oh, out yeah. and play every Friday, Saturday night, make a good buck in this town. But, but you have to tap into those markets outside. Of, because, you, you know, one, one third of our residents live in below the poverty line. Yeah. I mean, there, there's not a ton of money to go around in this local economy but as they're is. All paying for they're all paying for Spotify. They're all paying for oh, Apple sure. Music somehow. Sure, sure. So you got to get your stuff on there and get it listened to. So if we make a Buffalo playlist or we get just write more better songs is all I think that we can do, especially locally. I don't know about the rest of the world, but Buffalo is ready to pop off. There's so many good musicians, so many good places to play, and so much more freedom. It's just we need to write the songs and record them and send them out into the world. And, and our hip hop scene is already taking off. They're already, yeah, they, they're, they're, that's what they're the doing. Griselda. They're blowing yeah. the doors off venues. And they're getting and the music awesome. out there. And yep. you yeah. walk up and down the street, and Benny the Butcher's got posters, like posters all up and down, and like really up and down cool the marketing street. and graffiti on stuff like The Butcher is coming. Like That's the yeah. stuff. That, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, and it's, it's, it's Buffalo-centric. That's oh, yeah. an essential part mm -hmm. of the music, the, I mean, the identity if, of the East Side and everything. I think so, if you ask people around the country yeah. what's Buffalo music right now, you'd say Griselda. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the only Buffalo artists I see getting interviewed on NPR, yeah. right? Right. Like, well, who else? Or performing on, you know, late-night shows yep. or whatever it is. Yep. Or yep. SN was it SNL? What was it? 
Uh, it was one of them. Um, I think it was uh, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, I think uh, uh, was it Benny the Butcher? Or was it uh, uh, what's the other guy? Not not to suggest that there aren't other artists from around here who are doing like Zuri Appleby. No, but I mean hip hop is. Well, and yeah. Zuri's an incredible musician, right, and she's right. traveled all over. And she was just on SNL a couple weeks ago. And that yeah. was amazing. Right. But um, there, you'd be surprised how many of Buffalo people are out there in the world. Sesh, but, a lot of session players from Buffalo. Going yeah. Back to like the past. If we're going back here, like the the Wrecking Crew and stuff. Like people from this area have always been putting out music. You know, they've always been doing big things. It's just spotlighting it at this point. You know. I, I think it's um you know Buffalo's such uh well it lives in the shadow of New York City I guess right I mean most most people yeah, don't even sort of <laughs> more of its own past I mean it, it once was this shining gleaming city you know that had the Pan American Expo that was over a hundred years now you know and and I think it's sort of like you know then it became the steel town and then the steel moved away and now it's kind of sort of reinvented itself as like a medical quarter. Mm. It's kind of finding its identity again. You know, yeah. we forgot we had a waterfront. All of a sudden, we were like, oh, we should do stuff there. Yeah. I think Buffalo is, is kind of, it needs to sort of pull itself together a little bit and kind of say, this is who I am as a, as yeah. a community. I mean, I have a, I guess, unique insight because I moved from New York City area. So, I mean, I think anyone who doesn't understand like that Western New York and even a lot of the other rest built places have its own charm and completely different culture are just kind of <laughs> unaware, I should say, or oh, yeah. uninformed because... Yeah. It's like it's so far removed from the culture down there. It's just a completely different feel. I mean, Elmwood Village is just this strange little slice of like Rust Belt, like uh, I want to say like Rust Belt Brooklyn almost. Like it's just a small little walkable place, and just it just you, it just feels like it's so Buffalo. It's ridiculous. Like from the guys screaming nonsense on the street, from the vendors selling all sorts of stuff. From Star Child going up and down selling jewelry to you every day. I see him every every day. I mean, it's it, the characters. It's it's honestly, it's like if Cheers was an entire city. That's <laughs> the Elmwood Village. That's how, that's how, yeah, it's kind of like Elmwood Village. It's kind of how I feel. And and uh, I've I've been here about I want to say it's been seven years now, something like that. And it's it's really grown on me. And if you if you don't believe the power of that, you should come up here and, and try to stay here for a year, and you'd learn real quick. Seeing is believing. I mean, yeah. I I don't think it's the problem that people know about Buffalo and they they have judgments about it. I I think, like you say, they. They're unaware. Just unaware. That's that's what I mean by living in the shadow, in the cultural imagination yeah. New York yeah. City's were, and that's you know there's this whole other state which has nothing in common well, with their city. It's, it's all rural, rust belt. It's, yeah, it's completely incredible. If I tell know. people like, I'm from Niagara Falls, they assume Canada. You know, like people yeah. don't even know there's Niagara Falls, New York, half the time. You know, so like yeah, it's kind of like just overlooked in a way. I mean, maybe for good reason, but at least well, it's Falls. A, we benefit from it being a secret to some degree, but it also needs. It's true. Well, how did how did some, I want people how to come did, like, visit? Like that's Portland it. get started, or right. or Austin? Yeah. You know, those places were just like us at one point, and then the word gets out. Yep. You know, you like keep things. Austin weird. You know, keep Buffalo a secret. At some point, it's not going to be a secret anymore, especially if the Bills win the Super Bowl. You oh, know well, I mean? yeah, if they keep going to the playoffs, people are going to keep coming up here and have a great time. And also, you know, I as to say a different way than than Anthony did. I've been here my whole life. I've lived in the city for a long time. And you look back six, seven years, we didn't have a place like Ironworks where we could do the Music is no, Art Festival. We didn't. And have other cool stuff. There was, there's people kayaking down the Buffalo River. If you went anywhere near <laughs> the Buffalo River as a kid, you were quarantined <laughs> for a while. And, you know. Heaven help you if you went fishing in it back then. Yeah. And, you know, just the, the downtown corridor, like, you know, talking about like having a, like a riverfront and uh, canal side and everything like that. And the big concerts down there. And people are realizing that the summers here are great. 
and I think everybody in the entire world should get stuck in Buffalo during a snowstorm at least once. Because <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Especially if you still have heat, you're fine. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's right there. And I think it has to be part of the arts community, the music, you know. Um, culinary. Culinary th that brings it to the forefront. People come to town to eat all the food there oh, yeah. is in town. Yeah. You know, and if people start to come to town and be like, it's great. I went to this bar and saw live music for five bucks or there was a free <laughs> concert in the park. Like, and hundreds of people show up. And I think we're that close. I think we're just going to take like 10 more years until everybody else runs out of water and they move up here. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought I was going to see that a little. You know, more art and stuff's going up. They're, they're doing better, bigger things. So it's starting to happen. Yeah. In 10 years, it'll, it'll be here. It's a great hub too. Like you can, you'd be surprised how many things are closer to Buffalo than the rest of New York. Like, I know a lot of bands that start their tours up in Buffalo and there's yeah, way down Canada, the coast, Pennsylvania, you know? like even West Virginia is pretty close. Yep. Well, and, and we're at the tail end of the Golden Horseshoe. Like I remind people, I, we are Buffalo is not this like little isolated pocket on the corner of the two no. lakes. We are part of this whole metropolis. If you ignore the borders on the map for a second and yeah. just look at the satellite imagery. And realize, especially how much our economy depends on like the Canadians that come over to like, mm -hmm. you know, the folks in Hamilton know like hanging out in Buffalo is the place to go. You want to get some cheap beers, and, you know, and some cheap chicken, like come over here. Um, and you know, there's that whole like untapped group of people that are already hanging out here. That you know, one of the things I'm trying to do as a musician is get up in Toronto in that area and play more often. And I'm trying to make my way back in there now that like we can again, and their their restrictions have kind of eased up. But I think more Buffalo bands should remember, hey, like right across the we're lake, an hour away from Toronto. You know, yeah, 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 right across the lake is a whole metropolis. It's, it's, if any band can tell you, the toughest part about going to Canada to play is one of the guys in the band is not able to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really going to say. Someone got a DUI. Somebody, I don't know one band. There's one thing in Buffalo. Every guy or girl can get shame. across the border. There's some great towns like Milton and Toronto and then oh, you go to man, Sarnia. That's, that's it's such a good point. How are we looking? And we right across is the truck. Can we all go to Canada? Right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can. I go to Canada all the time. So, so bands out in Hamilton, if you if you somehow accidentally watch this video this far in, um, know that there is a growing market of session players who can fill in for bands that have too many DUIs to get the whole group over. <laughs> excellent Start point. your marketing now. <laughs> right. You'll find somebody. Yeah. So, folks, this has been our interview with the soon-to-be-detained-at-the-border uh, <laughs> band, the, the safety meeting. Um... Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for providing the space. Thanks for, thanks for having us. us. No thank you, thank you for having us. Thank That's you for fun. having such a good time. Thank you to Jack Rabbit Sorry, for letting us do Jack this. Okay. Thank you for letting, us steal, thank you for letting us steal Kevin <laughs> from your kitchen. So last, last uh, thing, and then we'll, we'll do the wrap-up. Uh, what shows you got coming up? We have July. We have May 21st at uh, the jeep topless event at 12 gates that means they're taking the tops off the jeeps anthony okay. yeah don't get too excited i'm taking my shirt off too for and tj is probably gonna nipple. lose his shirt um then nice. july 3rd we are at mohawk place july 9th we're at central park grill and july 30th we're at mickey rats right july is a big one july is a big one get out there boys huh? yeah we've, we've maxed out the amount of 
shows for one band and uh in this one <laughs> in july all right well yeah. beautiful so with that i'm devin mullen and i'm mike shamil this has been the safety meeting and this is the eighth note sessions we'll catch you next time check out bird in the window pane by the safety meeting you can find their music at the safetymeeting.com because if you can fly maybe he can sing The Eighth Note Sessions are produced by Music is Art. Our co-hosts are Devin Mullen and Michael Shamil. Editing by Michael Shamil. The Executive Director is Tracy Fletcher. Our Program Director is Sarah Elizabeth Shaw. You can help programs like this keep going by donating today at musicisart.org. Thanks for listening.